0: it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week.
1: Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.
2: I'm Shannon Bream. The president, lawmakers, and Western leaders look on with concern as China and Russia grow closer.
0: There's no secret that the relationship between Putin and Xi has gotten much stronger they share a common adversary
2: the president huddles with german leaders as chinese president xi meets with the russian ally the two superpowers flexing their diplomatic might trying to shape the outcome of the war in ukraine And intelligence officials say they don't see any proof that foreign weapons caused the mysterious Havana Syndrome. But American victims and their lawyers say they still have a lot of questions.
3: It just doesn't make sense.
2: We'll bring in the top senator on the Intelligence Committee, Mark Warner. And we'll get reaction from former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who's considering a run for the Republican nomination. We'll ask how he would manage these global challenges then.
4: Can I answer the question? You, no,
2: the, you the cannot.
4: refuse to answer
3: I the am answer.
2: Republican lawmakers blast Biden's attorney general over protests near the homes of Supreme Court justices and allegations of political interference at the DOJ. We'll ask our Sunday panel about the fiery exchanges on the Hill. All right now on Fox News Sunday. Hello from Fox News in Washington. The president met with top Democrats this week as he thinks through his 2024 strategy. But foreign policy challenges continue to push his domestic plans to the side. Breaking overnight, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs visiting U.S. troops in Syria. General Milley is there to talk about U.S. efforts to prevent a resurgence of ISIS. Syria's foreign ministry condemned the unannounced trip. They're calling it a flagrant violation of Syrian sovereignty. His trip comes as Russia, China, and the U.S. all jockey for global influence. In a moment, Virginia Senator Mark Warner joins us live on the war in Ukraine, on China, and a new U.S. intel assessment about the mysterious Havana syndrome. But first, let's turn to Lucas Tomlinson live at the White House on those dueling meetings held by President Biden and Chinese President Xi. Lucas.
5: Shannon, U.S. officials privately admit the war in Ukraine is at a stalemate right now. The front lines haven't changed in months, despite billions of dollars of American weapons flowing into the country over the past year. Russian forces making incremental gains assaulting the eastern Ukrainian city of Bakhmut. That's where Ukrainian President Zelensky visited shortly before flying to the White House and presenting this flag to Congress in December. Friday, President Biden hosted his German counterpart, with Ukraine dominating the discussions.
0: Beyond your military support, the moral support you gave to Ukrainians has been profound.
5: Despite both sides approving tanks for Ukraine, U.S. officials admit few have been sent more than a month since the announcement. Today, Russian forces control 17 percent of Ukraine. Ukraine. And there are more Russian troops inside Ukraine now than any time in the past year. In late January, the U.S. military's top officer admitted getting the Russians out of Ukraine this year would be, quote, very, very difficult. Only about half the 20 leading economies in the world are sanctioning Russia. India has increased its oil imports. At the G20 summit in New Delhi, Russia's top diplomat made the following claim immediately rebuked by the audience.
1: The war uh, which uh, we are trying to stop and which was launched against us using Ukraine.
5: (laughs) One of the biggest concerns in Washington, China potentially arming the Russians. We haven't seen the Chinese make this decision. Uh, We don't think they've taken it off the table. The president also met with Democrats late last week on Capitol Hill. The backdrop his potential re-election bid, and his annual budget rollout this week. President Biden already making this pledge. I want to make it clear. I'm going to raise some taxes. Many of you are billionaires out there. You're going to stop paying at 3%. Right now, former President Donald Trump leads Biden in the polls in a potential rematch in 2024. Trump spoke last night for nearly two hours outside the nation's capital at the Conservative Political Action Conference, better known as CPAC. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis was among a handful of prominent Republicans who did not attend. Shannon?
2: Yeah, we'll have more on that with the panel coming up. Lucas Tomlinson from the White House. Lucas, thank you. Joining us now, Virginia Democratic Senator Mark Warner, chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Welcome back. Good to see you, Senator. Thank you, Shannon. Okay, so this week you all have uh, a hearing on worldwide threat assessments. You'll have the DNI, the director of the CIA there. Mm -hmm. You have long been warning about China on multiple fronts. Do you think that we have lost valuable time in assessing the threat accurately? Will you talk about that this week? Well, I think
3: for a long time, uh, conventional wisdom was the more you bring China into the world order, the more they're gonna change. And that assumption was just plain wrong. Um, China even changed their laws in 2016 to make it explicitly clear that every company in China, their first obligation is to the Communist Party. So we have never had a potential adversary like China. Soviet Union, Russia was a military or ideological. China is investing in economic areas, they have $500 billion in intellectual property theft, and we are in a competition not just on a national security basis, but on a a technology basis. That's why national security now includes telecommunications, satellites, artificial intelligence, quantum computing. Each of these domains, we've got to make the kind of investments to stay ahead. And I think we're starting that in a bipartisan way. We did the chips build to try to bring semiconductor manufacturing back. We've kicked out Huawei, uh, out of uh, our telecom systems. This week, um, I've got a broad bipartisan bill that I'm uh, launching with my friend John Thune will be the Republican lead where we're going to say, in terms of foreign technology coming into America, we've got to have a systemic approach to make sure that we can ban or prohibit it when necessary.
2: That mean TikTok?
3: That means TikTok is one of the potentials. Listen, TikTok is not only, you got 100 million Americans on TikTok 90 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. Even you guys would like that kind of return 90 (laughs) minutes a day. They are taking data from Americans, not keeping it safe. But what worries me more with TikTok is that this can be a propaganda tool to basically the kind of videos you see uh, would promote ideological uh, issues. If you look at what TikTok shows to the Chinese kids, which is all about science and engineering, versus what our kids see, Mm -hmm. there's a radical difference.
2: Yeah, okay, we'll watch that because now that's the bipartisan offering potentially this week. Um, This past week, we got information. It was revealed that both the Department of Energy and FBI believe that the origins of COVID were most likely a leak from the Wuhan Institute for Virology. Um, This is something that early on was called a conspiracy theory. You were racist if you talked about it. The Senate has actually unanimously passed uh, a measure that would call on this administration to declassify information that we have about the origins White House won't say whether the president will veto it or not if it gets to his desk. Do Americans really, worldwide, do people not have a right to see that information?
3: Shan, here's again an example of what we're dealing with, with the Communist Party in China. If this, had, if this virus had originated virtually anywhere else you would have had world scientists there. The Ch- Chinese Communist Party has been totally opaque about letting in outside scientists to figure this out. Now, you've still got some parts of the intelligence community that think it originated in a, in a, a wet market. Um, others saying it could have gotten out from a lab, although I would say that one en- entity says it came from one lab in Wuhan, another said from another. You know, end of the day, we gotta keep looking. And we've got to make sure in terms of future pandemics, we can have access to where the source of these diseases originate a lot earlier on in the system. We're three and a half years later, and we still don't have access to water. They're
2: not going to cooperate with that, especially if they assess internally they were at fault. How do they pay for this? Now, billions, probably trillions in damage and losses for people, millions and millions of lives. How do they pay?
3: Well, I think, again, this is where we've got to have that united front of countries all around the world that there has to be consequences. There has to be consequences potentially in terms of of sanctions. It's one of the reasons why is if China moves forward to support Russia and Ukraine I can understand some of my colleagues who are willing to say well I don't really care about Ukraine but I'm concerned about I'm, I'm concerned about China. Well China and Russia these authoritarian regimes are linked and we've got to make sure Putin is not successful in Ukraine. And we've got to make sure that she does not have further expansionist plans around mm-hmm. Taiwan.
2: Well, and we know that even if they aren't selling, sending bullets over mm-hmm. to Russia, they are buying up copious amounts of Russian oil. They are sending dual-use projects or products that could actually be used on the battlefield. Um, Xi doesn't seem very worried about the warnings from the US at this point. They haven't even acknowledged or apologized for the balloon that went across America, we think, capturing information as it went. Is she afraid of this administration? Does he, do our warnings mean anything?
3: Well, I think she, as Putin thought, thought that when the invasion of Ukraine, that the West would basically throw in the towel. The fact that we've not, the fact that you've got, for example, the German uh, chancellor in just this past week, Germans dramatically increasing their defense budget, the fact that we've got, you know, nations like. Finland and Sweden trying to join NATO. I think Putin made a major miscalculation. And I do think she is watching the West stand up against Putin and is taking some lessons from that.
2: You're just back from India, among many other countries you visited. They abstained from the U.N. vote that condemned Russia's invasion of Ukraine and called for an end to this. How important is it, a critical place like India, that that they choose a side and with the West? I think
3: it's time for... India's a great nation. As a matter of fact, I'm chair of the India Caucus, I'm a big supporter of India. And India is now a major, major power, fifth largest economy in the world and and a place where remarkable things are happening. And my message to the Indians has been, we understand that you have historic ties to Russia and you still get a lot of your arms, but you cannot be a world leader, and attempting to be a moral world leader without picking a side. And in this case, I think the younger Indians get that. Some of the older generation, I think we've still got some work to do.
2: Okay, so let's turn to continued funding for Ukraine. Another $400 million was announced on Friday. Um, there are questions about – there'll be more requests from Congress, no doubt, in the coming weeks uh, about that. And while there is strong support there, in, uh, here across the U.S., across the West – the polls show that it's, it's pulling back a little bit. Um, and here's the reality from one analyst. Funding for the Ukrainian government at this point has not demanded any tough bureaucratic trade-offs between funding priorities. It's not required balancing needs for Ukraine against domestic spending. We've hit our debt ceiling. We've got some kind of negotiation that's got to happen very shortly. There are competing needs and they are very real. So where do we assess our financial commitment to Well, Sharon,
3: let's look at this. We've allocated $113 billion to Ukraine. We've actually only given them actually less than half of that, and on the military side, about 30 billion of roughly 60 billion. We've still got some runway to go there, Um, but I think we need to keep that commitment. And the truth is, the Russian army is being chewed up by the Ukrainians. We had a uh, we spent 800 billion dollars a year on defense most of my lifetime to prevent Russia from uh, exploiting that. We're having the Ukrainians do that right now, in a sense. In For us, I think we need to continue that. I think you will see um, the vast majority of members of Congress in both parties. There's some loudmouths on both sides that are pulling back. Um, But if we're going to keep in this competition against Russia and China, Putin cannot be successful. And at the same time, we have to realize, as we look at China, um, that national security is no longer simply tanks and trucks and guns and ships. It is also telecom and AI and quantum computing and advanced uh, synthetic biology. We're going to have to make investments in those domains as well, which is both an economic investment and, I believe, a national security investment.
2: Speaking of another national security interest, um, Iran and this report on their nuclear capabilities came out this week, and it's kind of getting lost, uh, I think, a little bit in all the other foreign policy headlines. But basically what the internal um, International Atomic Energy Agency told us is that they've hit 84 percent as far as enriching uranium. They say that's just short of the 90 percent that you would need for a weapon. Um, Britain, France and Germany say they want to censure Iran over this. The U.S. is kind of hesitant. We're told the reporting is the Biden administration doesn't want to go there. Are we now then softer on Iran's new program than Europe?
3: I did, not, I did not believe that. We have made explicitly clear, and I was just in Israel recently uh, with a group of senators, that we ag- agree with Israel. Iran cannot be a nuclear power. And uh, I think that has been our policy. It will continue to be our policy. There are two steps in this process. One is the enrichment issue, and I believe we will be tougher than the Europeans. We all always historically have So why been. are we
2: against censuring reportedly?
3: And listen, I think we have, all, we have already sanctioned and censured more Iranian companies by far than our European friends. But there's also the question around delivery systems. Again, I think uh, we and our, our Israeli friends are following this very closely. And again, we will not allow Iran to become a nuclear power.
2: Okay, so I've got to hit this Havana syndrome. Um, They're reporting out this week uh, an assessment from several intelligence agencies that they don't think that this was, or it's unlikely, there was a Ford adversary that was carrying out these attacks, whatever they were, where people, our diplomats, our intel officers around the world at U.S. missions have suffered really debilitating symptoms from this. Um, Senator Rubio, your colleague, tweeted this. The CIA took the investigation of Havana syndrome seriously, but when you read about the devastating injuries, it's hard to accept it was caused by... AC units and loud cicadas. Something happened here, and just because we don't have all the answers doesn't mean it didn't happen. Will you continue to try to pursue answers?
3: Absolutely. First of all, the most important thing is anyone who got sick, whatever the source was, whether they are CIA, whether they DOD, State Department officials, we owe them the world's best health care. And I think we are providing that now. Initially, frankly, under the last administration, this whole issue was an attempt to be swept under the rug. We are now making sure that health care is provided. And I know how, particularly the CIA, how extensive their investigation has been. And I've made very clear to them if there are, they need to continue that investigation, if new facts come to light, um, they ought to pursue that. But at this moment in time, I know how thorough they've been, and uh, they have not found the evidence that I think perhaps they thought they would have found. We ought to follow the facts. At the end of the day, that's what we owe these members of the intel community who protect our nation. And that means giving them the health care. And if it ends up uh, sensing some other source than what's been discovered so far, we've got to pursue it.
2: All right. Senator, Chairman, it's great to have you with us. Thank you for coming back to Fox News Sunday. All right. There are several former Trump administration officials who are either running or considering running in 24. That includes a few who had a direct hand in the Trump foreign policy. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is one of them. He joins me live next to respond to Senator Warner. And will ask again whether he plans to challenge his former boss for the White House.
0: I brought in Ensure Max Protein. With
6: the world of business moves fast, stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown, every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.
2: The energy department has now joined the FBI concluding that the COVID-19 pandemic more likely than not originated from a lab leak a notion characterized at one point as a fringe conspiracy deemed by some even as racist when the Trump administration began giving the lab leak theory credibility, the beginning of the pandemic. Joining me now, former Trump Secretary of State and author of Never Give It an Inch, Mike Pompeo. Good to have you back, Secretary.
6: Good morning, Shannon. It's great to be with you.
2: OK, your book, you talk about this quite a bit because you were an early adopter of the possibility that this could have been a leak from the <laughs> Wuhan in, um, Institute of Virology. And you said you weren't surprised that the Chinese pushed back on it on it, and some of your opponents on the left politically did, too. But you were surprised that some U.S. scientists were. You mentioned Drs. Fauci and Colin specifically and say this. I think they were fearful of being exposed for gargantuan conflicts of interest and in activities that sidestepped American Laws. What exactly did you mean?
6: Well, Shannon, we, we now know that there was U.S. money funding the research that was taking place inside that laboratory, and I think Dr. Fauci and uh, Peter Daszak knew that, and so they went uh, they went full battle stations in March. Now, goodness, three years ago, think about that. Three years ago, I was on Good Morning America, excuse me, uh, this week on ABC, and said, "Hey, I think this looks like it came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology," and they went full battle stations. Uh, I think they were fearful that the facts that we now know would be true, that they would have had some complicity in what took place there. I don't think we know the full scope. The Chinese Communist Party has torn up all the documents, thrown away the journalists. They've made it all go away. But it is now good to see that the Department of Energy has come to the same conclusion that I did, my State Department did years ago, that this leak came from a laboratory in China and then Xi Jinping foisted this virus upon the world.
2: We may not know on the Chinese side, but are you optimistic? We will know on the US side, are part of the equation in this and should there be responsibility? Who should be held responsible?
6: Yes, we should hold all parties accountable for this, Shen, and Everyone who had a role, look, make no mistake. Th- this is a Chinese virus that came from their laboratory. There's no no mistaking that. Uh, But we should make sure we understand fully what the U.S. role in this. If there were laws that were violated by any senior American officials, they should be held accountable, too. Uh, We had millions of people die around the world, Shannon. We've had billions of dollars worth of economic harm inflicted on the U.S. economy. The only way to get this right for the American people is to make sure that everyone connected to this is held accountable.
2: Okay, I want to turn to Russia and Ukraine. But first this. Um, You have been criticized for calling Vladimir Putin things like talented, savvy, elegantly sophisticated not reckless, always does the math, and that you have enormous respect for him. Um, you know you've been criticized for that. Is there a context to that? How do you explain those very flattering descriptions?
6: Yes, those are what I was taught at West Point. Always respect your adversary. Don't, don't call ISIS the JV. Right? This is what Barack Obama did. Don't, don't underestimate Vladimir Putin. That's what the Biden administration did. It's how we ended up not being able to deter him from attacking Ukraine. When you, when you think of your enemy as weak or dumb or not capable of executing things that can harm your country, you put American lives at risk. And so when I used those words, I was serious about them. Uh, this is a guy who made a huge strategic blunder. But we, even today, Shannon, even today, we should not underestimate his tenacity, his capabilities, the willingness of the Russian people to continue to impose enormous harm on Ukrainian civilians and to upset the space here in the the, the, the global order, uh, Vladimir Putin should still not be underestimated. His, he's threatened all kinds of things. We should be sure that we're doing the right things to deter this adversary who wants to do the American people harm.
2: So to be clear, though, on a scale of morality, where would you place him? A zero. Okay. Very good.
6: Assuming assuming one is the lowest. Yes, zero. Okay,
2: All right. Um, Let's talk about what's going on in Ukraine, because there is a lot of speculation. There's a bit of a split within the GOP. Um, Folks who are on the Hill now, folks who are running for president, who may want to run for president. Um, Here is what former President Trump said last night about us spending tax dollars overseas.
0: Instead of spending hundreds of billions of dollars to defend the borders of distant foreign countries, under my leadership, we will defend our borders
1: first.
2: Okay. Um, as we talked about with uh, Senator Warner, there is some flagging of support in Ukraine. People know we don't have our own fiscal house in house order here. We may face other threats around the globe that will require our resources. There are genuine competing needs. So how do we make that assessment?
6: Shannon, there certainly are uh, competing needs. But America can do this all right if we get lots of things right. Let's talk through three things that are buried in what uh, you asked. First, yes, we should secure our southern border. I was involved in that. We built Remain in Mexico. We'd actually had sovereignty for the United States of America. I'm proud of the work we did in the Trump administration to make sure that our southern border was secure. It is possible to do. We simultaneously made sure that Vladimir Putin did invade Europe and had deterred that kind of aggressive attack on Europe. It happened for four years on our watch. We didn't allow Vladimir Putin to take an inch of Europe. And finally, as for the fiscal house in order, the four years the Trump administration spent $6 trillion more than it took in adding to the deficit. Uh, I came to Congress, Shannon, and you'll remember this uh, in 2011 as part of the Tea Party class, we were determined to get America's fiscal house in order, and it's going to take serious American leadership to do it. Uh, but I'm confident, Shannon, we can do each of those three things. America will get there. We just need serious leadership that's prepared to actually speak honestly with the American people about each of those.
2: Would a President Pompeo do a better job at managing the deficit and debt than a President Trump did?
6: I think, I think a President Pompeo or any conservative president will do better than not only we did during the four years of the Trump administration, but Barack Obama... George Bush. The list is long, Shannon, and folks who come to Washington on one theory and don't, aren't prepared to stand up and explain to the American people how we're actually going to get that right. It matters to the next generation. Uh, the this, this system is at risk. Uh, if we don't get it right, we are $31 trillion in the hole. We've got to begin to grow the economy, build it back with lower taxes. And when we do that and grow our economy, we'll get it right back right. It's going to take a true conservative leader, Shannon.
2: Are you saying that President Trump wasn't a true conservative leader?
6: trillion more in debt. Uh, That's that's never the right direction for the country, Shannon.
2: Okay. um, I want to hit on Iran. As I talked about with Senator Warner, it seems to be flying under the radar just a bit, this nuclear advancement that that has been assessed this week. Um, Your critics say this. The scope of Trump's failed Iran policy comes into sharper focus. They say this lies at your feet. As Iran's nuclear program advances, it's important to understand just how spectacularly Donald Trump's policy failed and in turn created the current mess, You were secretary of state when he pulled out of the Iran nuke deal. Do you accept any of the blame for where they are now?
6: Shannon, they blamed Afghanistan on us. They blamed the China problem on us. Eventually, the Biden administration will take responsibility for something. Now, I guess two years in, right? Uh, No, our policy on Iran was fundamentally right. Uh, This administration has walked away from the nation of Israel. The Israeli leadership doesn't have the confidence to do what it may need to do to keep Iran from having a nuclear weapon, that America will be with it in its time of need. We had isolated Iran. We built out the Abraham Accords because we sanctioned the Iranian regime. We made life difficult for them. We took away their money. They went from $96 billion down to $4 billion worth of foreign exchange reserve. Hezbollah soldiers were getting paid less, Shannon. Um, we had the right policy with respect to Iran. We had begun to put them in a box where they would have had to make difficult decisions. And I can say this. The Israelis knew that. Uh, The Gulf Arab states knew that. And I think the American people understood that our relationship with Iran can't be one of coziness. We can't negotiate with them while they're trying to kill Americans. Those are the wrong policies with respect to the United States and Iran. We have to get this right, and the Biden administration has failed miserably.
2: Well, they've been ticking forward on that program, so we'll continue to track that. I want to give you a chance to respond to what Senator Warner said about the Havana syndrome, this assessment from the intel agencies. It wasn't a weapon or something that was done by a foreign adversary. He said you guys tried to sweep it under the rug, didn't take it seriously, didn't send investigative teams.
6: Yeah, I'm disappointed in that because Senator Warner knows better than that. He was the chairman of the Intelligence Committee when I was a CIA director. We we were the ones who identified this problem. We were the ones who got our officers, broadly speaking, both State Department and CIA, out of the dangerous places that they were in. And then we began a massive effort to try to identify what happened. It's proven very complex. It's now five years on. Still not clear precisely how it is these folks became sick and injured we ought to keep at it but to to make this about partisanship or suggest that somehow our administration didn't either help the folks who were injured we did we provided the medical attention or uh, do our best to figure out how to deter it and push back against it. Uh, that's just, I, I, wish, I wish Senator Warner hadn't done that. That's beneath him.
2: Okay, last time you were here, I asked you whether you were going to run for president. In 2024, you said you'd get back to me. I have not heard from you, so we are still waiting. Um, <laughs> any announcements on that front? But you were at CPAC and had a very pointed speech there, hit a number of top issues that sound like somebody who could be giving a stump speech. I want to play a little bit of what you said Friday night.
6: We can't become the left following celebrity leaders with their own brand of identity politics, those with fragile egos who refuse to acknowledge reality.
2: Well, Washington Post assessed it this way, it says, in case it isn't obvious, Pompeo is talking about his former boss, Donald Trump. Pompeo avoids naming names so he can have plausible deniability and potentially avoid a backlash. So celebrity leaders with fragile egos, who were you talking about?
6: (laughs) Oh, Shannon, I was talking to the American people. I was talking to the American people about the seriousness of the moment that we find ourselves in. We've, we've been focused on foreign policy today, but, Shannon, you and I have talked about the problems in our schools. We've talked about crime in the streets. We spoke for a moment about our southern border. No, I, I was talking about the time to elect serious leaders who are thoughtful, who speak about America as the most exceptional nation in the history of civilization. They're not denigrating it. They're not, they're not throwing out whoppers. They're not spending all their time thinking about Twitter. That's what I was speaking to. It's the moment for celebrity, the moment for stars is not with us it's the moment for america to go back to its conservative founding its conservative ideas and i am very confident that room that room cheered that idea and i'm very confident that we're heading back that direction
2: okay celebrity leaders with fragile egos big voices people obsessed with twitter you leave us with no other assumption in that you are talking about your former boss and that you may be considering a serious run yourself i mean who else are you talking about
6: no, Shannon, I, again, I, I'm not talking about any. I'm talking about what's happening in states and counties, school boards all across America. It is time for a thoughtfulness and a weightiness and a seriousness that I think we've kind of moved away from. And we've got to get back there. It's not about President Trump or former President Trump. It's not about President Biden. It, it's, it's about the American people and getting this right. And, you know, I'm not dodging your question either. We are working our way through, Susan. My wife Susan and I are working our way through trying to figure out what's next for us. And in very short order, we'll have figured that out, and we'll, we'll let everyone know, Shannon.
2: What does short order mean? Got a timeline?
6: Uh, not, a, not a hard one, but next couple months.
2: Okay, we'll see you back here on Fox News Sunday for your announcement, Secretary. All
6: right, Shannon. Thank you, man. Thank have you a so much. Day.
2: You too. Our big-name Republicans fanned out this weekend at a pair of high-profile conservative gatherings. That includes President Trump. He hit the stage at CPAC last night, took a few veiled swipes at potential challengers, and he was pretty excited about those straw poll results. We'll break it down with our Sunday group. Talk about the new heat in the 2024
0: race next. I'm standing before you because we are going to finish what we started. We're going to complete the mission. We will expose and appropriately deal with the rhinos. We will evict Joe Biden from the White House.
2: President Trump taking the stage at CPAC, laying out his reelection platform and vowing a return to the White House. It is time now for our Sunday group. White House reporter for The Wall Street Journal, Catherine Lucy. Former Bush White House advisor, Karl Rove. Fox News senior political analyst, Juan Williams, and host of the Jason Rance show. It would only be Jason Rance. <laughs> Guys, welcome. Good to have you with us this morning. OK, so let's put up the CPAC poll. No surprise, Donald Trump runs away with it. 62 percent to Ron DeSantis, a distant second at 20 percent. Perry Johnson, not going to lie, had to Google him, 5 percent. And Nikki Haley at 3 percent. All right, Carl. You have talked about who the nominee should or shouldn't be or may or may not be. Um, This is just one slice. This is one straw poll that we knew was going to go this way. But our polling last week also showed that President Trump continues to dominate the primary field.
0: Yeah, he's the front runner. Uh, It's interesting, July 21, he was 70 percent at CPAC. At August 22 in Dallas at CPAC, he was 69 and now he's 60. So there's a slight diminution in his support. 62. He's not issues. going to want to give up. Two. Even among even among his. And this is Trump fest. Let's be clear about this. I mean, this is totally Trump fest. But look, he's the front runner. And the question is going to be, is he going to be the front runner uh, in uh, early 2024? Or is he going to be slipping in some of the early states? Early states are indicating New Hampshire, for example, in Nevada, there's polling that indicates that he's not the front runner there. So we're in for an exciting contest, but he's, he's, in, the, he's in the poll position, No ifs, ands, or buts about it.
2: Okay. And, Catherine, this morning we get word that former Maryland governor Larry Hogan, a frequent Trump critic, um, says he's not going to get into the mix. He's not going to run.
1: That's right. And one of the things he's talking about is the idea of, you know, a pileup or a really crowded field. And that's a thing that we saw in 2016 with uh, Donald Trump is that uh, a lot of people running against him. Uh, you know, splits the rest of the vote, it makes Mm -hmm. it easier for him to solidify his support and rise above, and that is something that I think people who are looking for an alternative to Trump are worried about. But I think the question now is, is there another candidate? And I think we just don't know yet. We have to see more people get out in the field. Mm -hmm. Is there another candidate who can really sort of rally the rest of the party support Mm -hmm. against Trump.
2: Well, and he was asked apparently by a reporter yesterday, what happens if you get indicted? And he's like, well, I'm definitely still running. And he said it will probably help his numbers, which, Jason, is probably true.
7: It it probably is. Look, he is someone who has done really, really well because he is seen as someone that is anti-establishment, that folks are out to get him. And he's obviously going to play into that. The, The question is, can someone else move ahead without alienating the trump supporters larry hogan would not be able to do that and a lot of the folks who are contemplating running including mike pompeo they will be seen as sellouts to this administration and Ron DeSantis, i think is playing this really 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 well where he's not going after donald trump very much kind of not even mentioning him at all and focusing on his record in florida and i think that that has for him that's going to be a very very strong strategy
2: Interesting that Marquette University had a poll of people who describe as GOP or GOP-leaning independents. Seventy percent of that group say they still have a favorable view of President Trump. But when they went head-to-head that group, they had DeSantis at 64 percent and Trump at 36 percent. Juan?
4: Well, I think that Jason's right. I mean, what President, former President Trump is doing is making DeSantis into the establishment Republican candidate. And I think back to 16 and the races there and what I see is that nobody figured out how to counter Trump's very personal, mocking, belittling attacks and his co- kind of popular culture plays in politics. Uh, you know, uh, low-energy Jeb, Lu Marco, Lyon, oh, it, you know, go on and on, right? Nobody really figured out how to counterpunch. DeSantis is not counterpunching. Right now, he's not mentioning Trump. Mm-hmm. It's as if he's just saying, you know what, I'm counting on something else to take you out of the race. He could actually come at Trump from the right And when I say that, he could go after him on failure to win elections, you know. He could go at him on failure to deal with COVID, failure to deal with immigration. You could say, look at Florida on COVID. Look at Florida on immigration. I'm farther to the right than you. But he hasn't done it. He's on his book tour, but it looks like he's uh, a fantasy tour where he thinks he's pretending to run but not willing to say it because he doesn't want to alienate the Trump base.
2: Well, and there are things that he has to iron out potentially. They've got to fix p- this potential issue down in Florida during this legislative session that there may be uh, a state law that would bar him from running for federal office. There are all kinds well, of other things. It wouldn't things.
0: bar him, it would require him to resign from government. Right, to resign. yeah, he can't look, do both look, at the same look, time. Uh, I, I don't mean to dis- disagree with my friend. Ron what? Williams, but, <laughs> what? But, but look, uh, to take last night in uh, Dallas, huge crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, the night before that, they, both the, Houston and Dallas, the Republican Party fundraisers are the biggest ones in history, both in dollars and people. Uh, he is out there selling his vision of what Florida freedom means, mm-hmm. and that's a very important step to uh, to laying out his case and that you do things in a campaign building upon things and he is right now doing the very important work of of giving people a lot of things to understand that he's done in florida and that's that's an important part of of uh, a winning strategy you don't need to come out of the box and th- start throwing haymakers at, at Donald Trump, but he is very effectively counterpunched when Trump came after him, basically saying, "You shut down Florida prematurely he said well i 'll take my record in opening up Florida against your record of keep of shutting down America," and did so in a very polite and direct fashion that I thought was pretty powerful well see that 's what
4: I think he has to do more of but he's avoiding people he, he's, like Shannon Breen. He's not doing he's media, got, he, and when he does it, he had a big slip-up this week on Ukraine. What he is, I think he, he alienated Republican or, establishment by not saying, I 100% support well,
0: Ukraine. By the you way, can, you can sign up bodies. as his campaign manager and give him that kind of counsel. <laughs> Juan <laughs> <of counsel>. Williams <laughs> announcing this morning, One
2: Williams announcing he's going to be Ron DeSantis. Campaign manager. By the way, open
1: invitation, <laughs> Governor DeSantis. Come on down. We'd love to see you. I, Captain. No, all I was going to say is, as Carl saying, DeSantis is taking these arguments to the early states. So yeah. he's heading soon to Iowa. And what we know from our reporting is that there are a lot of uh, Iowa Republicans who are interested in an alternative to Trump, mm-hmm. who have not made up their minds. Those early states tend to really kind of keep their options open. Mm-hmm. And so that's the play he's making right now is trying to tell this story of what he's done in Florida. Well, and, those places. and we
2: don't even know, Jason, if President Biden is going to run again. We've always assumed he would. But there are questions now about these delays.
7: It is. But the focus can't be on Biden right now, because we obviously know that if DeSantis is going to do this and be successful, he's going to have to go after Trump. He's going to have to defeat him. and He's going to have to do it in a way that is still polite to an extent. But he understands that there's a threat here. And right now he's focused on the substance of his record instead of being drawn into a battle with Donald Trump, which is a lose lose for him, because, again, It will alienate the base. Mm -hmm. And just being at CPAC and speaking to these people, they are very open to Ron DeSantis. They're (laughs) fans of Donald Trump and they are his their first choice. Mm -hmm. However, if it doesn't go that way and he ends up not advancing, you do need someone who's going to be able to keep the party together. And with all due respect to Larry Hogan, while his argument is a valid one where you don't want to break everyone apart. He wasn't going to be that candidate to break everyone mm-hmm. apart. All
2: right. I want to make sure before we go that we mentioned the train derailment in Ohio because there was another one um, this weekend, not to the extent um, and, and reportedly not carrying haz- hazmat materials. But we're a month into this now. and The Daily Beast is calling out President Biden on this. They say Biden's befuddled response to the Ohio train disaster is unacceptable. They say showing up is an important part of leadership. Biden should know that by now. Failing to show up in East Palestine was a crucial mistake. And Biden's opponents have seized on this opportunity And used it to say, you don't care about rural white people. Juan, should he be there? He says he's going at some point.
4: Yeah, look, what's important here is taking care of people who are in the midst of a crisis. Mm -hmm. And I think everyone agrees, including Governor Mike DeWine, the Republican governor, and Republican members of Congress, um, that the EPA's been on the ground from day one. The people who are in you know, in charge of uh, like, you know, health controls and helping people who might have health consequences from the spill have been there from day one. The transportation department has been there. Um, So it seems to me there's a certain performative aspect to this that's being requested uh, by Biden's critics. But to me, it's about taking care of those people. And I I just think that so far, based on what, you know, the opposing party has to say, the administration has been doing its job and forced Norfolk Southern to take full responsibility and promise full compensation to those people. They
7: don't, they don't feel like they're being taken care of. That, right. That's Perception for people yeah. is
2: reality in that, in that place. Absolutely.
7: I mean, look, at the end of the day, if folks are still showing up to their homes and they're saying, I'm sick, my kids are sick. And then you have the EPA coming out there and saying, oh, no, everything is fine. The president won't show up. You're just not feeling confident in this administration. And there are significant health and political implications to avoiding this particular demographic when you're deciding whether or not
4: you're going to run for re-election. Well, you don't want to interfere in the Uh ongoing work, right? What would be the interference at this point to show up and show you support? As someone
0: who's painfully been through this process with a thing Mm -hmm. called Katrina, President, President Biden needs to have been there long before, one month after the event. Yeah. Yeah, he, the president, a president, feels an empathetic role, and the president of the United States needs to go to this place. He should have been there within a matter of days, not a matter of months, and uh, he's going to suffer from this, and it is going to leave a, a a bad taste in the middle part of the country and a belief that he is, uh, you know, more inclined to fly off to Kiev that he is to fly to East Palestine.
2: All right, we got to leave it there for now. Panel, don't go anywhere because President Biden has sparked outrage in his own party after backing down on an issue a lot of Democrats support. One lawmaker reportedly calling the president's move quote amateur hour. And there's new momentum in the push to end daylight saving time. We'll explain both stories next.
3: Are you looking for something to dinners descended at the homes? of six Supreme Court justices, night after night after night, you did nothing. The department did nothing.
2: Republican Senator Ted Cruz blasting Attorney General Merrick Garland over protests outside the homes of Supreme Court justices. We are back now with our panel. And Catherine, uh, he took a lot of incoming in this hearing this
1: week, but he stood there and took it. Yeah, I mean, he took it, uh, he pushed back, he said his you know, department is not politicized, he pushed back against a lot of Cruz's comments, and specifically on. Um safety of Supreme Court justices. He said that they had sent U.S. Marshals to their homes, that he had not done nothing mm-hmm. in the face of you know threats to their safety. So, um, yeah, there was it. But it was certainly a fiery hearing.
2: It was. I want to play a little bit more of this because um, Senator Mike Lee out of Utah, Republican, was pressing him on arrests of pro-life protesters versus people who have attacked um, pro-life pregnancy centers. Here's their a little bit of their exchange.
4: There are many more prosecutions with respect uh, to the um, um, blocking of the uh, um, of the abortion centers, but that is generally because they are those actions are taken in uh, with photography at the time um, uh, during the daylight. Those who are attacking the pregnancy resources centers, uh, which is a, a horrid thing to do, are doing this at night um, in the dark.
2: Jason, you're shaking your head.
7: I mean, is that now where we're at? We can't really do investigations because it's dark outside. I've seen the surveillance footage Mm -hmm. from Washington State, where a number of these locations have been targeted. There is a difference between... It is fair to say that we're doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes. That's how investigations work. However, when there are attacks or vandalism or threats towards entities or people that happen to be progressive or liberal, there is a very loud push vocally to say we're going after these folks, that we're actually going to make sure that we make these arrests. And yet there was a lot of silence when it was conservatives or those who were perceived as conservatives being the targets. And so again, it's very similar to East Palestine where if you don't feel like your concerns are being heard, You start to you're earning resentment on the left. And I I, I don't think that they can afford to do that right now.
2: Yeah. And there are these questions about they say um, the attorney general said we're not politicized. That's not how we make decisions. But one, there were questions about classifying Catholics who actually, you know, believe Catholicism as radical, whether they were some kind of threat. Parents at school board meetings, um, you know, all kinds of things that this um, attorney general was confronted with because they they have to deal with the optics of it. Well, let me just
4: say no evidence. So there's no evidence of this accusation. By the way, he was up there for four hours. Mm -hmm. All of this, including the bit that you just showed, happens in the last 20 minutes. It looks like, basically, you had Cruz and others wanting to create made-for-TV moments to show that they were taking on the Attorney General for the right wing. But there's no evidence, and the suggestion is that he goes somehow easy on left-wing extremists but hard on right-wing extremists, but... Or And also that he plans to indict President Trump. It looked like, basically, they were trying to drum up the idea that this guy is partisan and, uh, and fighting for the far left. And, you know, what is with this? I mean, the right says we are tough on crime. We love police. But when it comes to the FBI, oh, you guys raided President Trump. Uh, gee, did he do something wrong? Uh, you don't like the Justice Department because the Justice Department has rightly said white supremacists, white right-wingers are the major terrorist threat to this country but, but somehow what but, but they're not I oh, mean, oh, come on, on, Jason. there is a threat yes, no I'm, doubt just saying, about it. I'm repeating here, what the fbi said but here's the
7: difference number 1 the criticism is against leadership not against the men and women in uniform who are engaged in investigations shot at fbi two,
4: agents after the trump uh, visit to Trump to try to recover. Yes, and that was widely
7: celebrated by the right. Of course, I'm just telling right, you, this condemned. is a fact. But number two, all the conversation about white supremacy, you know what we don't hear about? Jane's Revenge. We don't hear about Antifa, which are organizations that y'all on the left pretend oh do not God. exist.
2: But these are organizations, too. When you mentioned Jane's Revenge, like, they take credit. They were yep. online calling for attacks on pregnancy centers and saying, like, celebrating them and leaving their tags on the building, so... Again, Carl, it gets back to this idea of perception. Well, yeah, the I'm
0: going to give the attorney general the benefit of the doubt that they really are investigating. And, and there is a certain logic to the fact that, uh, that p- people protesting abortion clinics generally do so publicly and in front of cameras. And people who assault pregnancy crisis centers uh, generally do it at night because they're cowards. I, I will say this, though, with all due respect, one, there is evidence We know that that at the highest echelon of the Department of Justice, there was a serious effort to consider uh, parents in northern Virginia who were upset about their schools as terrorists and that there were progressives providing draft language to the Department of Justice. We also know that there were people inside our U.S. law enforcement agencies. Who are openly talking about? Do we need to target Catholics because of their their views? And there's a culture inside our government that is that, that that Merrick Garland ought to be concerned about. If we're sitting there and having the U.S. law enforcement agencies saying, you know what? If you're a deeply observant Catholic, you're a threat to the United States of America. Carl,
4: I think some of this comes from letters written to no, the Justice Department or arguments among people about well, how should we do this, it? This came, you, this that was discussion a, this is was totally legitimate this, and not evidence of bias. This
0: this is a report being circulated, recommendations being framed up by people inside our government that we ought to seriously investigate. I think we want Catholics. them discussing where the, the, the threat exists, and I don't the, think it has to know, do with religion. A deeply observant Catholic is not a person who represents a threat, oh, okay. and that's what they were talking about.
2: All right, let's take it down to this, which is <laughs> off of that. Should we keep changing our clocks? Uh, Senator Rubio is offering up this measure again, saying, like, let's stop doing this. He says this, quote, the ritual of changing time twice a year is stupid. Catherine, is it stupid?
1: <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not going to stu- I think there's lots of views on both sides of this. And that's part of the reason that this hasn't actually uh, advanced all the way yet. There was an effort to do this last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't advance in the House. There are some people who think there should be more daylight in the morning for mm-hmm. kids to go to school. Some people think there should be more in the evening for businesses to stay open. And so I think this debate keeps going, and we'll see if this time we reach a conclusion. So
2: reporting on the Hill, they spell this out. So we have a real-world example. The sun typically rises around 7.15 in the morning, set at 4.30 p.m. on the first day of winter in New York City. Permanent daylight saving time would, char- would change sunrise to 8.15 a.m. and sunset to 4 thir- or 5.30 p.m., I'm for that, but Jason, you say no. It should no. be dark at night and early it should be in the dark morning. dark Are you a which, farmer? I'm not a farmer, <laughs> I but I do live said. in
7: Seattle where, I'll tell you, at 10.30 at night during the summer, it's still a little bright outside, and it's kind of creepy. It's I hard think. to sleep. Look, at the end of the day, the argument is all about safety and health, right? And I would argue that we should probably be more in line with our actual body, which, mm. when it's dark, we're supposed to go to sleep when it's light, we're supposed to wake up. And I think ultimately that will make all of us healthier.
2: Senator uh, Rance is voting no on I'm, this. I'm a, to a no. Measure. Uh, quickly, I want to do this. D.C. home rule. So D.C. council had changed uh, the criminal laws here. It was going to lessen penalties for some things. Um, there was a big backlash on this. Uh, House and Senate have a right as a over this federal district to say, we're not going to do that. They've overturned this. The president says he won't veto it. Um, And frankly, uh, Carl, Democrats are mad. They say the president is, this proves that D.C. needs statehood.
0: Yeah, well, he's saving them from themselves. The D.C. law would do away with mandatory minimum sentences for many violent crimes. It would uh, elevate uh, low-ranking crimes to have jury trials, which would discourage people from being charged. Mm -hmm. And then it would reduce the penalties for burglary, carjacking, robbery, and some other things. The the president of the United States is doing his party a favor by keeping the, you know, soft-on-crime uh, label being able to be slapped on them with ease as it would be if the, if the Democrats opposed this.
4: Well, so I think in reality, the Republicans are trying to put Biden and Democrats in a box. And as Carl said, I think the president avoided the trap. By the way, I'm a D.C. resident. Yep. My wife has been Carter. I think this is a bad bill. Oh, the I president did right. Okay. Good for you.
2: All right. Pam, look, they end on a, a moment of kumbaya. Kumbaya. Okay. Kumbaya. Thank you, panel. We'll see you. Ne- <laughs> we'll see you next Sunday. Up next, a prominent religious voice found herself caught in the middle of a political firestorm. More on that
0: next. Okay, everyone. Our mission is.
2: She spent decades as a prominent Bible scholar and teacher, but in her new book, Beth Moore is incredibly transparent about everything. From childhood abuse she suffered to finding herself in the middle of a political firestorm that turned her life upside down. She is my guest this week on Live in the Bream, my podcast. It is freshly out this morning. You can download it right now anywhere you like to get your podcasts. That is it for today. Thank you for joining us. I'm Shannon Bream. Have a great week. We will see you next Fox News Sunday.
6: The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to Fox News Sunday ad-free
2: on Amazon Music with your Prime membership or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.